Hi, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. I need your support. You can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible audiobook from audibletrial.com science. Just for getting you to try them out, Audible will pay me a small reward. Or you could click on an Amazon link on diffusionradio.com and Amazon will kick a few percent of what you pay them my way. Please, make a donation directly with the PayPal button on www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. <sighs> Toxicology, astro seismology, magnetism, the dark side, genetically engineered potatoes, planetoid, planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, good cop, bad cop, cholesterol, with Blake Cochran. But first up, Here's the news. Fake chili zaps your brain. Magnetic nanoparticles that copy how chili works to fool heat receptors may achieve the same beneficial results as deep brain stimulation, which is implanting electrodes deep inside your brain. Sticking electrodes deep into the brain to deliver fast pulses of weak electric current has been very effective at treating Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and depression. But it's much too invasive. Injecting magnetic nanoparticles and then heating them with an external magnetic field may work just as well. TRPV1 receptors in our nerve cells are sensitive to heat and pain and chili can trick them into firing without real heat. This inspired Paulina Anakiva, a material scientist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Cambridge, to find another way to stimulate those receptors. First, she made brain cells express the TRPV1 receptor by using a virus to transfer by infection to transfect the brain cells. They were able to detect that the brain cells expressed the TRPV1 receptors by using chili. The ones with the receptors responded to the chili, the brain cells without the receptors did not. Next, she injected magnetic iron oxide nanoparticles into the brains of the mice and then heated them up with a powerful alternating magnetic field. The heat was detected by the TRPV1 receptors on nearby transfected brain cells in the hippocampus, causing them to fire and pass on electrical signals. A month later, the magnetic nanoparticles were still in place and could still be heated to stimulate the brain. The neurons that weren't changed by the virus to express the TRPV1 heat-detecting receptors didn't fire when heated by the nanoparticles of iron oxide rust. The work was funded by the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, no surprise, MIT's McGovern Institute for Brain Research and the National Science Foundation. The paper was titled Wireless Magnetothermal Deep Brain Stimulation and was published in the journal Science. 
Remote control brain stimulation assisted by a virus. What could possibly go wrong? You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Inspiring Science hosted another early career research scientist talk at the Ultimo Library last week. Blake Cochran is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of New South Wales. His research focuses on HDL, the good cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. He gave a talk entitled, Good Cop, Bad Cop, Good and Bad Cholesterol. Here's an edited version of his talk, followed by an interview. In my research, I wanted to try and find what the highest known amount of cholesterol you can get in one meal is. And I came across this thing, pork brain in milk gravy. So in one serving, and a serving is two-thirds of a cup, the amount of cholesterol in there is, this, this is 3.5 grams, and that's the equivalent of 1,170% of the daily recommended intake of cholesterol. That's pretty bad. You, you don't want this. I couldn't find out what this stuff tastes like. I imagine it probably tastes pretty good if you like pork grains. That's the richest food that I could find on the internet that had cholesterol. So what is cholesterol? When we talk about cholesterol, we usually mean one of two things. One is that we talk about lipoproteins. These are cholesterol. So HDL, LDL, VLDL, there's a whole bunch of other ones there. These are lipoproteins. These are molecules that transport cholesterol around your body. The other one is cholesterol, the molecule. So this is cholesterol straight up as a chemical. And this will be the focus of my talk today. So to quickly get the lipoproteins out of the way, and then we won't worry about talking about them. So this is what I spend my days doing, is working on lipoproteins and how they influence diabetes. Lipoproteins are particles that are made up of proteins and lipids. And lipids are, you can essentially consider them fat, uh, that move cholesterol around the body. You all might know there's the two main ones, HDL and LDL. HDL is the good one. That's the one that when you get your blood test back, your doctor sees a really high number, preferably close to two, and says, fantastic, your HDL is really, really good. And the other one is LDL. And that's your bad cholesterol. And that's the one that if it's too high, your doctor will put you on a statin, you try and get that down as much as you can. So the common thing is you basically think of HDL as an angel and LDL as a devil. The reason mainly being there's a whole bunch of other things, diseases, states that I'll touch on later, that these two molecules play a role in. But the biggest one is in cardiovascular disease. LDL, the really simple version of it, LDL chucks cholesterol and lipid and fatty deposits in your arteries, and HDL actually helps get rid of it. Where might you have heard about lipoproteins recently? Statins aren't probably the nicest drugs. There are people who have some pretty hectic side effects, but they're pretty safe generally, and taking statins to lower your LDL is pretty much proven. Nothing in science is 100% proven, but they're 99.9% sure that on almost every person, taking that decreases your risk of cardiovascular disease if you are at a high risk. There's always two sides or three sides or a dozen sides to everything in science. One of the main guys they interviewed was this guy, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. He said, don't take a statin, it's not going to help you have as much cholesterol as you want. That's okay. Dr. Sinatra's number one thing that he likes and a book that he published, he's a big champion of this, is a concept called earthing. 
Now, in this, the best thing you can do for your health is take your shoes off and balance them in the dirt. Okay, and this, this helps get rid of the negative ions from your body and it replenishes your health. Now, hey, it could work. I'm not saying it doesn't. But, and I, for one, honestly, my perfect job would be to not have a job where I don't have to wear shoes every day because I like walking around without, my, without shoes on. But, you know, you've always got to have a really skeptical eye in terms of science. Okay, so we'll get away from lipoproteins because that's controversial potentially. And we'll just talk about cholesterol, the molecule. So HDL is high density lipoprotein, LDL is low density, and VLDL is very low density. So it's kind of, it's very similar to LDL, it, it's bad. It's just bigger. You have a lot more LDL than you do VLDL. So cholesterol, the molecule, it's a steroid molecule. All that means is that it's made up of carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. It's found in animals. I have to make the disclaimer that it is found in plants a little bit, but for the purpose of today's talk, not really. Now, your body makes one gram of cholesterol a day. Every day, the typical uh, 75 kilo male makes this much cholesterol. So some of us make a lot more, some of us make less. But your body synthesizes a gram of this stuff every day. The average daily intake, and this is an American male, so these people have diets that are generally higher in cholesterol than the average person in the world, is 0.3 grams a day. Okay, so most of the cholesterol that's in your body, you didn't actually absorb from something, you made it yourself. Of that 0.3 grams a day, a lot of what you consume is in a form that your body doesn't do a very good job of taking up. It's in an esterified form, which is poorly soluble in water. Your body can't absorb that very well. So in terms of cholesterol, you aren't exactly what you eat. Eggs are full of cholesterol, but things like eggs with high cholesterol probably aren't as bad for you as you think, potentially. I'm not going to go and say you go and eat a dozen eggs, but just eating cholesterol isn't going to... Most of the cholesterol in your body is made by you. It's not from what you consume. But the disclaimer is you can't use this excuse from me to go and eat cheeseburgers all day every day, please. In you right now, you have about 35 grams of cholesterol in your whole body. Um, it's in all of your cells. So let's get down to that. So where is the cholesterol? Cholesterol is mainly in the membranes of your cells. There's two ways cells can take cholesterol up, or they can get cholesterol. One, like I said, is they can make it, and the other one is they can take it up from lipoproteins. They take it up from LDL and VLDL. It's actually pretty interesting. That's what I work on. I work on how cells can get rid of cholesterol. And generally speaking, there's only one real way that cells can get rid of cholesterol. In most cells, except for the liver, which has a completely different way of getting rid of cholesterol, and any tissues in your body that make hormones, so that they secrete around your body, and so my answer to that is, science is, is hard. So the rules are basically there, but everything always breaks the rules. The method by which your cells make cholesterol was the topic of the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1964 by this guy, Conrad Bloch. The other way in which cells can get their cholesterol is they can take it up. They absorb it from what's around them. That's via LDL. And so these guys shared the Nobel Prize in 1985 for this research. But why is cholesterol important? This is what I'm going to get down to good cop and bad cop. So too much cholesterol is really toxic to cells. If your cells have too much cholesterol, if it gets too high, your cells will just die. High levels of cholesterol increases your risk of coronary heart disease, stroke, peripheral vascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and high blood pressure. These alone together are the majority of deaths that are suffered in the Western country. I'll just touch on the, the two big ones there, coronary heart disease. That's caused by accumulation of cholesterol-filled cells in coronary arteries. So what happens is you have a nice healthy artery with age, just with time, if you have too much cholesterol, you get a build-up of these cholesterol-rich plaques in your arteries, and these eventually can occlude the blood flow. They stop the blood flow to parts of the heart, and you have a heart attack. Uh, the other one, 
talk about is stroke. So ischemic stroke is where you get essentially the same thing happening in one of the arteries that supply your brain with blood. Uh, you get a blockage of this, not enough blood, you have an ischemic stroke. One of the really terrible diseases that has to do with cholesterol is a thing called familial hypercholesterolemia. People who have this and have two copies of the defective gene typically have a life expectancy in the 30s to 40s. And if these are some of the typical symptoms that you have. You have this iris, uh, on the outside of your iris, you have these deposits of cholesterol. And these are actually turned into cholesterol crystals. They actually crystallize. On your ankles, your knees, and your elbows, you can actually cholesterol coming out of your skin. You often find these little white cholesterol-rich deposits around your eyes. Um, it's not a particularly common disease, but it's not very good. So that's the bad. If cholesterol is really bad, why do we have it? Or the other thing is plants don't get heart disease, and I've said they don't really have cholesterol. For the topics of this, the purpose of this talk, they don't. Plants don't get heart disease, they don't have strokes, they don't get diabetes, and they don't have blood pressure, and they seem fine. So why do we have it? So time for the good cop. We're looking at animal cell, and you saw a picture of this before. Now you have a plant cell. The number one, there's a lot of different differences, but the number one difference that sticks out to me as a biologist is that plants have a cell wall. So plants have a plasma membrane, and outside this have this really rigid cell wall that's made of cellulose. And that's essentially what bark on a tree is made of. What cholesterol allows your cells to do is as mammals, as animals, is that it allows us to maintain the fluidity of our membranes. So, if you think of a membrane as a crowd, if something, if it gets really cold, everyone kind of runs away, um, or huddles together for, for warmth. Cholesterol allows the, it doesn't matter if the temperature or the concentration of the other things in the membrane change, it allows the membranes to stay relatively fluid. If cell membranes get too fluid, they just fly apart. If they aren't fluid enough, you actually get crystallization and you can't have any movement there. Whilst cholesterol adds firmness and integrity to the plasma membrane and prevents it from becoming overly fluid, it also actually helps maintain its fluidity. So it does both of these things at the same time. One of the things that this allows is cholesterol enables animals to not need a cell wall. There's other reasons too, but cholesterol is a big player in that. This allows animal cells to do a couple of really interesting things. One is to change shape. The other one is to move. Animal cells vary in shape and size quite a lot. So an ostrich egg uh, weighs one, about 1.5 kilos. This is one cell. This isn't a collection of cells or an organ or anything. An ostrich egg is one cell. As long as it hasn't got an ostrich in it. Then it's multiple. The longest nerves. Nerves are typically one cell. There's not enough evidence. Not, not enough blue whales have been dissected and had their nerves pulled out to really measure them. So we think that the longest nerves are found, are found in blue whales and sauropod dinosaurs where the nerves were at least 25 meters long. This is a really long cell. Animal cells also differ a lot in their shape and morphology. Things like an epithelial cell, these are things you have in your gut, in your intestines, that help you absorb food. They have a really high surface area and they basically have bristles. Fat cells, they can expand and contract as you lose weight, put on weight. Your muscle cells are able to grow quite a lot if you train them. So there's a really broad amount of cell types in animals. Our cells can expand and contract as required, for example, in weight loss. And this is all because they don't have a cell wall. So animal cells can't move. Plants can't move themselves, they can grow. And in terms of movement, they really require on, on passive movement. Um, things like pollen, bees, to, to you know distribute their cells over a wide range. Due to a cell wall, it's really difficult for plants to change shape. So unfortunately, moving plants like an ant from Lord of the Rings 
or Groot from uh, Lord Guardians of the Galaxy, they move, they're probably not really players. Or they're not real, one of the two. So one of the really cool things, like I said, is that cholesterol allows your cells to move. What this is, this is a human, I think it's a, it'll be a macrophage, here, the big cell here, all these little blobs here are human uh, red blood cells. This is done in a dish. These little things you can see here are bacteria. This is chasing this. This is an immune cell. This hunts down bacteria and foreign things in your bloodstream and kills them. What you'll actually see, we'll replay in a second, is you'll see this guy follow the bacteria and chase it. So you can see the bacteria. The bacteria is kind of just moving along however it wants. They move in a different mechanism. But you can actually see that as it moves, the whole cell changes shape. It's not just a matter of it kind of, you know, propelling itself along. The entire cell is able to change shape and move around the red blood cells. And eventually it catches the bacteria, takes it inside itself, and then is able to kill the bacteria. The other thing is that cells can actually beat. This is a myocyte, so this is what you have in your cardiomyocyte. This is what you have in your heart. These cells beat. They don't get told to beat by your brain or anything else like that. They actually have the ability to just do this naturally. And when you have them in a tissue culture dish and you give them a charge of electricity, they'll actually all beat in sync. And my final little picture, where we can say that all these things about cells being able to move are really, really cool, is to say that sometimes that's not the case. Now, what this is, this green stuff is an artificial artery or a vein that's in tissue culture conditions. It's really hard to see under this light, but that's okay. The red thing at the top is a cancer cell, or massive cancer cells. And what you'll see, it was there before, you'll see that these red cells will actually move down onto the wall of this vessel. They kind of sit there, and very, very soon you'll see them vanish. Just about there. And it'll show it again in slow motion. Now, they haven't disappeared, they haven't ceased to exist. What they've actually done is got inside that vessel. Okay, so they've been able to get between cells, kind of degrade some of the cells that were in the barrier, and actually move into that vessel. And that's a crucial part of metastasis in cancer, which is basically when you go from having benign to metastatic cancer, and the prognosis is much worse. And the reason that cells can do this is they can squeeze themselves through really tight junctions because they're flexible, that's because they don't have a cell wall and they have cholesterol. So that's one of the good functions that I showed you, being used, since they're being hijacked by cancer, and being used in a bad cop thing. After the talk, Blake and I went outside to escape the noise of the cleaners. If you listen carefully, you can hear a thunderstorm in the background around the middle of the interview. I began by asking him, how does cholesterol get into our body? So the vast majority of the cholesterol that we have in our bodies, the average person has maybe about 35 grams of cholesterol in them at any given time. About one gram per day is made by your body directly. The average person probably consumes around 0.3 of a gram of cholesterol a day. So that's actually not very much. And a lot of this is in a form that you actually can't absorb or you absorb quite poorly. So yeah, the vast majority of cholesterol that, that you have in you is synthesized by your body. And how does your body get rid of cholesterol? So there's only one really one main way in which your body can get rid of cholesterol from the vast majority of cells, and that's via a process called reverse cholesterol transport, which I'm very lucky to work in a lab that strong roots in that field. Basically, your cells are able to have a set point of their cholesterol levels. And if they have too much cholesterol, 
oh, they need to get rid of it, they can use uh, a certain cholesterol transporter to essentially efflux the cholesterol back out of the cells. It's taken up by HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, and then that basically is taken to your liver and it eliminates the cholesterol from your body. So the good cholesterol helps you get rid of the bad cholesterol? Yes and no. So LDL is the bad cholesterol and that essentially delivers cholesterol to your cells. So not only do they make it, but it can be delivered directly from one cell to another via LDL cholesterol. The more LDL cholesterol you have, the more usually the more cholesterol you have in your cells and the worse off you are. And generally the more HDL cholesterol you have, the cleaner your arteries are, the less cardiovascular disease you're likely to have, and the less cholesterol you'll have overall generally. And what's the biggest influence on the good cholesterol? Is it diet? Diet, exercise, it's like everything. A lot of it is genetic and predetermined. So if your parents have low levels of HDL cholesterol, then you're probably not going to have very high levels either. There are a lot of things you can do that, that do raise cholesterol, HDL cholesterol somewhat. Eating lots of good green leafy vegetables, uh, consuming a certain proportion of nuts um, have been shown to increase the amount of HDL cholesterol you have. Exercise can also increase it as well. It's difficult. You've got to work really, really hard to get a very small increase. And what's the connection to type 2 diabetes? So what we've found, uh, other groups and the research that I myself have done and the rest of the group that I work in, shows that people with type 2 diabetes typically have less HDL than, I guess, your average person. The, the less HDL you have, the higher risk you are of developing type 2 diabetes. What we've been able to show as well is that if you are able to supplement HDL, either in cell culture studies or animal studies, or even in some human studies as well, is you're actually able to improve the diabetic function of these people. They have better glucose tolerance and they're more sensitive to insulin. So one of the really interesting things in, in our field at the moment is uh, the development of a bunch of drugs that are hopefully going to supplement or replace statins uh, in the next few years. So statins are pretty successful in helping decrease the rate of cardiovascular disease and they do this by lowering the levels of LDL cholesterol in, in patients. Uh, there's a bunch of drugs that are currently under trial and there's a lot of controversy around this. We don't know for sure, a lot of people have written the whole field off, but in the next few years we'll, we'll know whether... And, lightning's crazy. So these drugs increase the level of HDL you have in your body. Some do it by a modest amount, and these are things like niacin, uh, the vitamin, and a couple other drugs that have been trialed and didn't really quite have the success that people wish they had. And there's also two more drugs under development at the moment that are in phase three clinical trials, and these boost HDL levels by a lot, you know, 200, 300%. Jury's out at the moment, and these trials are reported in the next few years, and that'll be a really interesting thing to see. We know that the more HDL cholesterol you have as a base, to do with your risk of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, but we're really itching to find out if increasing this using a drug uh, actually has a benefit in protecting you from disease. And what about the idea that's come out in recent papers that fat in the diet isn't as bad as we thought, that even some fats can protect you from cancer? It's all a balancing act. I always go back to say that the diet that's proven or so far is thought the most healthy and the longest lifestyle of healthy lifestyle is a Mediterranean diet. Uh, this is something that's high in olive oil, high in vegetable based oils, a fair amount of carbohydrates. Most of it isn't quite as refined as your Western style diet. But also you've got to consider with that the lifestyle that these people live. These are people who live 
usually on small rocky islands. They climb up and down them all day, well into their 80s. So that has a really big impact there as well. I mean, it's like anything. If you look into anything that you eat can potentially be linked to both good and bad things. There's a reason we eat it. You know, polyunsaturated fats are probably better for you than saturated fat. I'm not going to, I don't want to speculate and say eat as much saturated fat as you want. There's fairly good evidence that eating saturated fat is not great for you. But like everything in science, you know, we get new evidence and we have to kind of change our guidelines based on that evidence. Because I know there's a whole paleo movement of people who are very keen on saturated fat in the form of butter in particular. They add butter to their coffee, they add it to everything and they lose weight. Mm. Probably one of the big reasons why people on say a paleo or a keto ketogenic diet is that they basically push their body to have very few carbohydrates. Essentially I've seen some paleo ketogenic diet people recommending eating less than 10 grams of carbohydrate a day. That's not very much at all. People definitely lose weight on these diets. There's absolute evidence of that. And one of the big things is by taking, by taking up a lot of fat, you're actually priming your body to burn the fat that you have. You can eat a lot more fat and it helps you feel fuller for longer than eating, than eating you know, white bread. You know, as far as whether being on a ketogenic diet is conducive to a long life, we don't know. We'll probably find out eventually. But I think that, you know, the general, the general consensus of, you know, a healthy diet with good fats, not too much carbohydrate, but some carbohydrate and good, lean, healthy protein and lots of exercise is definitely the way to go. The number one thing I think to think about is that the evidence is always, always getting more evidence and asking more questions. And as the technology we have to help us answer these questions increases, yeah, we definitely change our guidelines and that kind of thing. Nothing in science is 100%. It's all quite fluid. And it's all based on what's the best hypothesis and that we can confirm at the time. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was Blake Cochran from the University of New South Wales talking about cholesterol. I'll be posting Blake's full unedited talk on this week's episode page on diffusionradio.com. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, gasps of amazement, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai, 2NVR in Nambaka Valley, 2XX in Canberra, and 3NBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for more information about this week's show. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. 
you learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of sciences found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.